Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the Gospel of the Lord. During the Cold War, the Soviet Union and those who, through their work in espionage, tried their best to undermine the culture and political process and economies and systems of the West, had a tactic that they used and encouraged their people or people sympathetic to use when they were interacting with folks in a public manner. Whenever there was a debate, whenever there was an argument, whenever someone pointed out the weakness of Marxist communism in the West, the person who was sympathetic to had to use this tactic. They weren't to respond to the criticism, they weren't to defend it, but what they were to do was to say, well, what about? And then turn the argument back on the person from the West arguing against communism. You see, the person wasn't supposed to tit for tat explain why communism in his mind worked, but he was supposed to point out the flaws in democracy, in capitalism, and in the West in general. Well, what about this? What about this? And then the conversation ceases to be about the criticism of communism and the Soviet Union and starts then at that point to be a conversation about how the West is wrong. It probably sounds familiar. Raise your hand in here if you were never a child at one point and had an argument with your sibling, right? Anybody here never honestly, and even if it wasn't a sibling, at least a classmate, have your friend or your brother or your sister go to your parent when you were a little kid and say something that you had done wrong. You took something that wasn't yours. You pushed, you cut in line, whatever it was, and your response was to say, yes, but what about? And you take that valid criticism of yourself and you turn it back to the other person focusing on them. Grown-ups aren't immune to this either, though, if you stop and think about it, right? Especially during election years, particularly presidential election years. Do you ever watch those debates on TV? I do, usually just because I like the entertainment of it. It doesn't accomplish anything, but it's just, it's kind of like watching mud wrestling in a way. I remember the first one I watched, by the way, it has nothing to do with the sermon, was the Bush-Gore debates in 2000, where Al Gore was talking about his lockbox and things like that. It was a funny time. Well, at any rate, during these political debates, that's generally what happens. It's not an actual argument and a consideration of points and laying them out and one by one refuting them like the Lincoln-Douglas debates were back in the 1850s or early 1860s, I believe it was. But instead, our political debates today are just what about games. 
Games of gotcha, games trying to score cheap points with the audience to get people to ooh, ah, boo, laugh, or whatever. Now we all know it's very simple. Saying what about in a debate or an argument is just at its base deflection. You're trying to have the thing bounce off of you and stick to somebody else. You're redirecting critical attention away from yourself and to the other side or other people. Well, today's gospel from Luke is what I would call spiritual what-aboutery, right? Jesus tells this parable about two very different men that are there in the temple, and each of them are, in turn, praying two very different things. The Pharisee's prayer, it's a relatively short prayer, but there's a lot in there about how wonderful he is, what a good person he is. I fast twice a week. I tithe, that is, I give 10% of everything that I've been given, I give back to God. Find things to do, good things to do. But he only says this, if you noticed, he only says it after pointing out the other guy, other people. I thank you, Lord, he begins his prayer, that I am not like other men. I thank you, God, that I'm not like those people. I'm not an extortioner. I am not unjust, I am not an adulterer, and I am especially not like that particular man right over there. I'm not like him, Lord. Before Almighty God, his maker and his judge, he comes out not just with a list of why he is personally good, but why other people are bad. And really, if you think about it, what he's doing is actually worse than whataboutery, playing the whatabout game because he's not even owning, even rhetorically for a second, his own sin. But at any rate, the essence is still there. Others are way worse than me. That's a sad, sour way to frame one's life. But if we're honest, we've probably, to some degree or another, done that before ourselves, haven't we? Why is saying what about, playing the what about game, so tempting? Tempting to use in squabbles with other people. Tempting to use in political debates and be content with that. Tempting for our spiritual life. Well, first of all, it's very easy. It doesn't require any skills. It's actually kind of a lazy argument, too. It requires very little thought. Someone comes to you with an accusation, something you've done wrong, and you just say, well, I'm not, you are. Just bounce it right back to them. It is easier, much easier, to distract than to address. But second, and I'd say likely the bigger reason, is that if others look bad, I look good, or at least I look better by comparison. Now, once we've achieved that, once we have reframed the whole conversation, we have this happy result, we don't have to anymore critically look at ourselves. We don't have to self-examine. We don't have to confess. We don't have to seek to amend or improve. Why? Because others are worse than me. I'm not as bad as them. And thus we see how deflection and redirection gives us the cover we need to not even search out or confess our sins at all if we're content to live in that frame of mind. We know that it's hard enough to say the words, I am sorry, but it's even harder when saying, I am sorry, 
is the engine to the train that follows, which is an enumeration of the thing or the things that we've done wrong, actually saying what you're sorry for. Who's never been in this position? We're afraid that to say, I apologize, I'm sorry, will be taken as an admission of fault that will then be used as a bludgeon by the other person against us. Kind of like putting a weapon down on the table that they can pick up and whack us with, right? Especially if you're specific about what you're sorry for. We're worried about that with other people. And we are worried, I think, deep inside of us about that with God. You've probably been there before in some circumstance where the words, I'm sorry, the words, I'm sorry for, and then a list of something is not met with forgiveness, but it's met with the words, well, you should be. The person takes your sincere and honest attempt to reconcile and to fix the thing that you have done wrong, and they punch you in the face with it. Apology is not taken for the opportunity that it is meant to be for reconciliation, coming back together and healing that rift in the relationship, but instead it is seen by that person as blood in the water. They have an angle now. You've admitted you're in the wrong. Well, guess what? Here are five more things you're wrong about. You admitted that. Aren't you going to admit to these two? In our litigation culture that we kind of live in, I would say it's kind of like a lawyer saying, if something happens on your property, don't even just in passing say you're sorry because you are implying liability. <laughs> I've heard people talk that way before, right? You probably thought of it that way yourself. Don't own your fault. You have to protect your flank. Surely you have to defend yourself from someone who in bad faith and malicious intent is going to come af after you. And if that means not confessing the things that you have legitimately done wrong, then okay. If it means pointing out your neighbor's faults in response to him pointing out yours, so be it. I can't leave myself exposed before other people. I cannot leave myself exposed before God. So what about becomes my shield that all accusations bounce off? But in the end, such thinking is uncharitable, and really, it's delusional. And finally, it hinders getting the thing that we actually need. I doubt that a relationship could last very long, a close relationship that each time a grievance was brought up, a legitimate one, it's just turned around immediately and pointing at the other person about the things that they have done. The grievance might be a valid point. And maybe the response is valid points, but that's not how good relationships work. It's not how life works. Besides, what we don't need is that tit-for-tat, but what we need is grace. And for such grace to be there, we need first, as its foundation, an honest assessment of who we are. When I'm actually aware of the log that I have in my own eye, I really do think twice about talking about my neighbor's speck in his eye. But there's another problem with whataboutery, playing the whatabout game. It not only pushes away blame and fault, but it also pushes away forgiveness. Every human relationship that I know of has two sinners in it, two fallen people who to some degree or another wrong each other, sin against each other. Every healthy human relationship I know of has this, two sinners 
who forgive each other when wrongs have been committed. Not who say in the face of an apology, oh, don't you worry, just you wait, I will get you back for this. Not in a playful manner, that's fine, but I'm talking in a real, honest, vengeance mentality manner. Not two sinners who say in the face of an apology, I will remember this, what you have said, what you've admitted to. You admitted to this, I will remember it. But two sinners who, in the face of an I'm sorry, give a quick and happy and sincere, I forgive you. And that process, that pattern, includes this, confession and forgiveness, in some form, some words, every time. This is the foundation and with it, its foundation, love, what keeps relationships healthy and strong. And it is the only healthy and strong relationship that we individually can have with God. If you come to church or to God in prayer with, well, what about so-and-so as your qualifier or your mentality or the way that you're thinking about your relationship with God, well, I'll just say it candidly, you're wrong. It's the wrong way to think. It's not how he measures his favor towards you. Well, so-and-so here is better than so-and-so, so I like the first person. And moreover, it doesn't fool him, right? He's God. He knows it all. He knows the inmost thoughts of our heart and mind, and through piety or whatever, or smiles, we cannot trick him. We can sometimes trick people, we can never trick God. And if your faith can be described this way, where you think of yourself chiefly over and against other people and how bad they are, well, you're kind of becoming like the Pharisee in the parable today. But if you come to God in prayer at home, here, or anywhere else, if you come as the publican, as the tax collector, if you see your sin, if you recognize your sin's repugnance, confess it, confess it, repent of it, then you receive from your God every pardon and grace from him as a favored son. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The publican's prayer is met each and every time with God saying, for the sake of my son Jesus Christ and his blood, I do have mercy on you. I forgive you and I love you. There is only one true measure, one good measure for our lives, and it is God and his holy law. Others breaking it more than you does not affect how God sees you. To say what about is a complete sham defense. So don't measure yourself by others then. Measure yourself by God's law and when you come up short, which of course you will, make your confession and receive his forgiveness. It is his to give. He wants to give it to you. And to all penitent sinners, he truly and freely does. In Jesus' name, amen.